0: Welcome back here on this first, second Sunday in Lent. Welcome to everyone again who's watching online uh, at home. Uh, we are uh, going through the passion story in the Gospel of John. So everything, uh, well not everything, but most of the, most of the story of Jesus' arrest and his trial in the Gospel of John up until the crucifixion. We're not getting to the crucifixion until Good Friday. Uh, but every so often... Uh, when, you, when, when I go through and I read the papers or I see interviews that are being done, they'll uh, always end up with that one person that they'll find who will uh, wax eloquent in the letters to the editor or uh, in the commentary about uh, the good old days and the simpler times. Uh, you you kind of know that spiel, right? You've probably heard it. Uh, there was one, they were interviewing a guy in Florida, um, I know the story always ends well when it starts with a guy in Florida. But this guy was not throwing alligators or uh, anything like that. Um, they're interviewing this guy in Florida. And uh, he was talking about how he missed those times when people respected their elders and did what they were told. And he was mad about kids these days. He probably used another phrase like generations or... uh, But maybe he said kids these days, I don't remember. But he was absolutely convinced, he felt sincerely that the problems of our country were because the kids did not respect authority. Uh, And he wanted to bring back those good old days when they supposedly did. Now, I thought it's kind of funny because I would wager money that if I could get into a time machine, and go back to say, let's go back 40 years, 1971, almost 50 years now. Go back to 1971 and walk around. What do you think of kids these days? I can guarantee you there'd be a few. No, oh, darn hippies won't cut their hair, and I oh, not right? Now, as the guy was saying this, I could hear some of my friends, acquaintances, maybe of a more liberal streak in the background going, oh, the good old days. You mean when, 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 when we respected authority? You mean the good old days when, when men were authorities over their wives and could beat them with impunity? Those good old days? Or, or do you mean the good old days when we respected the clergy and then they abused little kids? You, you want those good old days? Or, or do you mean the good old days when we respected our bosses And the bosses groped their female employees with impunity, those good old days? Or 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 do you mean the good old days when when teachers could hit their kids with paddles and smack them in front of the whole class till they cried? Those good old days? Or 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 do you mean the good old days when coaches would make would make fun of you when you screwed up and shame you in front of the whole team by calling you a girl? Or a woman or a grandma or many other various slurs female related that I will not repeat. Happened to me. It was only nineteen eighty seven. Eighty seven. I never could understand how that was supposed to motivate me, but they did that. And when you complained, it was like you need to get a thicker skin. You're too sensitive. You mean those good old days? So I just hear him going, you mean the good old days when we respected authority and the authority abused their power? Now, I put those two groups together into a room at one time, and you can have quite a culture war, can't you? Make a great Facebook debate. Do we need more authority or less? Because as a society, I think we're divided on this, and I think we're largely undecided, too. Uh, we, we haven't quite figured out, at least in America, what is the role of authority? What should it be? Who should have it? When is it good to have or not? Uh, you know, I know that for a lot of people kind of my age and younger, there is a deep suspicion of anyone uh, who claims to have authority. There's almost an assumption that anyone who's in an authority probably has some dark secret underneath it. Anyone who says they should be respected probably shouldn't. There's probably an abuse underneath every one of them. And, and, uh, so, and where do they get that idea? Well, you, you go on and you just see the scandals. And you see the, the, the abuses of authority that have made headline news. And, and so they kind of see this and people get really, really leery about anyone saying they should be respected just because of the position they have. And yet, to a lot of us, we would say, those are just examples of abuse of the system. Those are, those are outliers. They're just a small minority abusing their position and not using their authority in the right way. And uh, you know, we know that it's not every coach and not every teacher and not every boss and not every husband. You know? And so some of us will say that trying to dismantle the all-authority Because a few bad actors has left us as a society kind of unmoored. That we're we're left without our moral compass. We're left with kids who don't have a sense of honor and duty. Like I say, we're not united on this at all. Now, I'm a pastor. So I know this firsthand. I'm in that category of clergy that used to be highly respected in town as an authority. You know, my, my first call, I got to the first clergy association meeting. And the topic was, why don't clergy get free golf at the city golf course anymore? This was 19, this was 2000. And, and some had been grandfathered in. So the new ones didn't get it. But if you got it before us, they're all like, Rabbi Shapiro, you still get it, don't you? And he's like, oh, yeah, I get, I get the free golf all the time. Father O'Donnell? Oh I, no, no, they wouldn't give it to me. I'm too new. This was the topic, the burning topic on their minds. I mean, I could only imagine walking down to the Quarry Pines. Hi, I'm a pastor. Don't I? Where's my free golf? I think that I think that would go over real well. But I, that, that's how it used to be. You you were a highly respected member of the community if if you're a clergy. You know now now I'm in a suspicion category. Right? I'm in that category where, you know, people find out I'm a pastor and they'll make some sneering little joke like, "Ooh, better keep the boys away." I'm like, "That is so offensive." You you would never do that with another category of people. But that that's what's happened. You know, and I want to say, well, actually, you know, in our denomination, we have a different disciplinary policy that doesn't allow people to be moved. We, we basically have a one-strike-and-you're-out policy. And because of our congregational polity that, where people have to interview and get background checked first, it eliminates most of these things from happening. In fact, most mainline denominations have really strict policies and background testing that we do anymore. And then you realize that the people who just want to hate on the church don't want to delve into the nuances of the differences of denominations and their disciplinary guidelines. They just want to say, oh, all organized religion is bad, so uh, you're all abusers, and I don't care, so I'm just going to go get my you know, pink salt crystals and my meditation app or whatever. And I knew that going in. I knew that going into this. But I believed that Jesus' message was worth taking the heat that it was worth the effort to try to show the world that, in fact, Jesus is not simply another authority telling you what to do, that he is not an uncritical supporter of all authority everywhere, but that, in fact, Jesus himself was very critical of abuse of power. If you look at this story, this passion story in the Gospel of John, one thing that makes it different from the other three Gospels is that in the other three, Jesus is very quiet when he's on trial. In Mark, he doesn't say a word. But in John, Jesus has lots to say. And, uh, and so as we go through the series, this is part of why I wanted to focus on John, because Jesus Jesus has, lot, he has a lot of things to say to the people in power. And so in the story we get today, what's happened? Well, Jesus has been brought into the city. And uh, uh, he's been brought into Jerusalem, and they took him to the house of the father-in-law of the high priest. So Annas used to be high priest, and Caiaphas says, Annas is like the high priest emeritus, you would say. And the high priest's job was a hereditary, it was a family job. You didn't work up to it, you were born in it. And, uh, but they take Jesus to the, to the former high priest, and he gets this audience with the person who is essentially the most respected, highest authority in Judaism. He is the highest religious authority. He is the protector of the traditions and the laws and the scriptures. He is the protector of the temple and its rituals and its sacrifices. This is a huge part of the culture and the people and their identity This was a part of the whole national identity, and he was the keeper of it. He was at the top of this. So he was a big authority. He was a person most people in Judaism would live their whole lives and never see in person. And Jesus gets a personal invite. He gets it in chains, but he gets an audience. So you know they must have considered Jesus either really important or really dangerous to get that kind of treatment. So look at how it goes down. You can see it here in your bulletins. It's in our lesson for today. John 18, starting at verse 19. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? So the priest wants answers. And Jesus refuses to give him any. And tells him to go ask all the people he's already talked to. You go talk to the crowds. I'm not giving you an answer. The priest is obviously trying to trap Jesus. I mean, Jesus is right. He's not been secret about what his beliefs are. This is no new thing. He's been standing right there in the temple teaching them. You know, what the priest is trying to do is he's trying to trap Jesus, right? He's trying to get him to talk so that the priest can catch him in something and use that thing he caught him in as the official reason why Jesus is going to get killed, not what the real reason behind it. And if you're Jesus. And you know that the priests are just going to take you out anyways. You know you're going to die anyways. Why why dignify the whole process with a response? Why give him ammunition? You know, you know that he isn't really looking for a theological debate. Just call it like it is. So what does Jesus do? He mouths off. He doesn't do what he's told. He doesn't speak when he's spoken to. He doesn't act respectfully. He doesn't show any deference to this super important person. He doesn't even answer his question. He's a smart aleck. And I can hear that Florida man right now going, this was my school? When I was a kid, you talk like that. You can meet. My teacher told me to give an answer, and I said, I don't know. Ask everybody. You know what they would have done to me? I would have been taken up front, and I would have been getting a paddling. And I would have been paddling until it hurt. And then he would have called my dad. And my dad would have given me paddling. And I would have been sore for a week. And and I learned my lesson. And I liked it. And I'm not mad at all. (laughs) It didn't hurt me at all. Look at me. Jesus was not being respectful of authority. So what did the guard do? He smacked them to teach him a lesson. And he gave him that line we still use. Is that how you talk to blank? Why do we always word that as a question? We know the answer. What we're really saying is, don't talk like that or I'll hit you again. But we still word it that way. Funny how things don't change. Now, this is a different Jesus than you see a lot. I mean, you know me. I'm always trying to get back to sort of the Jesus unfiltered, sort of peel back the layers of the tradition and, and, and sort of beliefs that have built up. Get back to what the gospel just says and look at it with fresh eyes because I, there's always that human tendency to want to make Jesus into what I want him to be. And this is one of those things that we probably haven't heard a lot about. Jesus, the disrespectful smart aleck who talks back to the priests. And not only will he talk back to Annas, he will also talk back to Caiaphas. He will talk back to Pilate. He doesn't hold back. But it's a side of Jesus, you know, I don't remember that Sunday school lesson. Okay, kids, be like Jesus. When the pastor tells you to do something, don't listen to him. Well, the pastor was my dad, so I knew that uh, I, I, never, I wouldn't get a paddling. But I might get yeah, a talking to. Oh, I don't know. I was too, I was too goody-two-shoes. I didn't even get many talking tos. All right. But, you know, this, this is just a different side of Jesus. It's a different part of his personality. Instead of that always that schmarmy, schmaltzy, you know, froofy kind of guy that walks around with a smile on his face all day long going, oh, my child, let's have love. You know, this is not that Jesus. It's a different Jesus from the one that supposedly just tells you, be a good little girl and a good little boy and, and do what you're told and, and you'll get heaven. You know, we don't ever tell our kids that to follow Jesus they should stand up to authorities and call them out in public and criticize their actions and take the consequences when it comes. That's not usually what's taught. Because that Jesus, that Jesus could be dangerous. Better skip over that paragraph and get back to Peter. But if Jesus really came to earth just to teach us to be nice and do what we're told and obey the, the rules and respect authority, then why in the world would Pilate and the priests have cared? Why try to kill him? I mean, be nice and follow the rules is what they want you to say. If Jesus would have only walked around and said, be nice and respect Pilate, Pilate would have given him a medal. Why would he try to kill him unless something in his message was a threat? Question authority and challenge the system is not how you make friends in high places. And I would venture to say that probably in all of human history, nobody has ever been killed for teaching love or be a good person. People in power love it if you're nice and a good person. That's what they want. But for the priests and the Romans, Jesus was a threat. For the priests, they had this high position. In essence, they were the only ones who could really get direct access to God. It was kind of how the system was set up. Now, one could go back to the Old Testament and you'll find Lots of criticism where the prophets are always criticizing the way the priests do business. But by Jesus' time, they were all back in business again. And, and they had this position. And so the, the access to God was through them. The access to forgiveness was through them. And that was a really important position that they had. And so when Jesus is running around the countryside, and he's talking about getting forgiveness through faith and 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 finding forgiveness through what you believe, and experiencing God, yourself, and obeying the law simply through your changed behavior. And, oh man, that's not good for business. Now, Jesus wasn't an advocate of destroying the temple or getting rid of the priests. He just wanted them to be more spiritual guides and prayer warriors rather than running this big animal sacrifice, money-changing racket they were doing. So the, Jesus was not good for business if you were Annas and Caiaphas. And then, of course, you had the whole fear of Rome thing, too, to worry about, right? And the priests, that was a legitimate fear. You know, Jesus never talked about violence or revolution, but he drew a crowd. And anybody who draws a crowd could turn that crowd into a dangerous mob. And they knew that, and they knew the way Rome reacts to mobs with genocide, wipe out whole cities. Rome didn't have a problem with that. So what did they do? They better shut this Jesus guy down. This was serious stuff. And it had really nothing to do with being nice and going to heaven. This is about politics. And when they tried to make this about, when Annas tries to make this into some sort of argument about how to interpret the law, how to read the Bible, Jesus sees right through it. And he basically says, I'm not answering your question because that's not really what you're asking. You already know the answer, and you don't even care what I say. I, and I think at this, and I'm like, I like this Jesus. I like this guy. This guy's not afraid. This guy doesn't pull punches. He doesn't BS. He doesn't he didn't stand by and watch people suffer and then just sort of, sort of say, oh, well, you know, I know you're suffering now, but just just hold on. When you die, it'll get better. And he doesn't ever just say that everything will be right if you just shut up and do what you're told. I'm like, man, I like this Jesus. And I keep going back to what a message it is. For everyone who has been on the other side of an abuse of power or an abusive system of power, that Jesus has been there. And I want to tell them, Jesus is on your side. He suffered too. Even from the religious authorities who are supposed to be living and teaching God's law, he suffered too. Because the system, as it was set up, couldn't survive if Jesus was allowed to keep going. It wasn't that Annas and Caiaphas weren't being nice enough. It's that they, in order to keep the system, they had to get rid of Jesus. They were doing, in essence, what the system made them do. And, uh, so, and how far, you think about that, how far all that is from do what you're told and you'll go to heaven do what god wants maybe the message should be do what god wants and someone in power might not like it and you might suffer and yes we do believe in a resurrection and we do believe in it and it's because we believe in that resurrection that we know that when the powerful threaten us we know yeah you may kill my body but you can't kill me in the end It isn't because of heaven that we are afraid to engage. It is because we have the confidence of a resurrection that we should have no fear to engage. That is what Jesus is trying to tell us, I think. And maybe we missed that out. So what if when Jesus says that we are to follow him, and we're teaching our friends, we're teaching our kids what it means to... Take up your cross and follow Jesus. That he's not talking about like physically carrying a piece of wood so that you can feel suffering. I saw a guy who did that. I'm like, okay, but I don't really think that's what Jesus meant. And I don't think it's about posting lots of Facebook memes about how I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. I don't know how many people will post and share this one. I always love those, I'm going to shame you into posting memes, right? Oh, no, if I don't post this, everyone will think I don't love Jesus anymore. I'm ashamed of Jesus. Th- that's not what it means. And, when you're, and, and and taking up your cross doesn't mean that you sit and you're pushy and condescending about Jesus to your friends, and then they get angry and you go, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus because they unfriended me. I mean, I've had people unfriend me because I follow Jesus. I I really don't lose sleep over that, I can promise you. But instead, what if we taught, what if we said that, look, maybe there's a part of Jesus you've been missing. Maybe instead the Jesus you're looking for is the Jesus who found people being hurt and he wanted to do something about it. And he found people getting caught up in an unfair system and all this horrible politics of Herod and Rome and all that gobbledygook, and he caught people co- piled up in that, and he caught people who were poor because they couldn't get, get the, the work they needed because the system was rigged, and he got upset about it, and he's trying to heal people, and he's trying to teach a different way, and he gets caught up in the wheels of it. What if we talked about following Jesus' cross as following him in that way? That following Jesus' cross is following all the way to Caiaphas' office. What do you think the reception would be if we could show the skeptics that that Jesus was there? Wouldn't that, far better than any Facebook meme or bullhorn on a street corner, testify to the power and authority that Jesus really commands through his actions, through his sacrifice? I want the world to see that Jesus... Standing in front of the high priest. Because that's a Jesus that really will command authority and respect. Amen.